0: Congregation, I would ask you to please turn now your very prayerful attention to those words that I read to you in the Gospel of Luke and the chapter 20. This evening, with the Lord's help, we wish to look at the verses 17 and 18 of this chapter. Last Lord's Day evening, we were preaching from verse 25 render the things therefore unto Caesar things which be Caesar's and unto God, the things which are God's. I felt that the Lord impressed upon my heart the need to preach here from also the verse 17 and the verse 18. And it's these words. The Lord Jesus, He beholds these religious leaders and amidst them there is a vast company of people, not only the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but a, a company of people including even His disciples. It's a Word to all. We know, as the Scriptures say, the Lord knoweth them that are His. If we are the Lord's, we will hear God's Word tonight. Maybe yet not called by His grace, but maybe the Lord will speak to us here tonight, convict us of our sin, show us of our unworthiness, show the altogether worthiness of Christ. I wish to take for my theme this evening, that theme which we really find in verse 17 and verse 18. Christ, the rock. That rock of offense to so many. But a rock of salvation to so many too. Notice these words in the verse 17. And He beheld them and said, What is this then that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, the same is become head of the corner. Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken, but on whosoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. I want us to think this evening with the Lord's help about the stone in the first place. And then, those that fall on this stone. And then, those upon whom this stone will fall and will crush and will destroy. Those three things tonight. The stone. Who is this stone? What is this stone? And then, those that fall on the stone. And then, those upon whom the stone will crush to powder and to destroy. First of all, let me take you once again to the context. We thought of it last week, but it wouldn't go amiss tonight again to put everything into context. Mindful that there may be those here tonight that were not with us last Lord's Day evening. But as we come to these verses here, I want us to think first of all of the very context. In the previous chapter, we're told that the Lord Jesus went into the temple, didn't He? And he drave out all the money changers. Those that were selling those defunct and deficient animals in the temple. That was forbidden. Men were to come with their own sacrifices. And they were to come having examined a lamb. A man could bring a lamb. A man could bring an animal. And present it to the priests. And then that would be slain for sin. But men were actually using the temple as a sort of mart. It was cheap, easy religion where you can come and you can just put a little bit of money on the table and give it to the priest. And he will bring out any old sacrifice. you say, well, that's good enough for sin. There was no thought. There was no action on the part of the person offering up to God. No preparation of the heart. Nothing like that. It was cheap, easy religion. And you have so much of that today. Little thought is is given to the coming to worship of the Almighty. People just offer up the scraps of their lives. It was never meant to be that way. And the Lord Jesus condemned them all. He says, is it not written, my house is to be a house of prayer? There's prayer before the offering was to be brought, not to be brought in the temple. This was a mockery to God. This was a great offense, an affront. It was terrible. Do you know we have so much of that today? We have people looking for churches, and seeking what they want from a church. What they want from, well, what's in it for me, what's in it for my family, what can I get out of it? It's cheapy. not what can I give to God, not what can I render to the Lord. My friends, that's not worship. Look at the Psalm 116. What shall I render to the Lord for all of His benefits toward me? Remember, he had to address them. We thought of it last week. They came to him with various questions. They came to him, first of all, with a question, John's baptism, was it from God or was it from men? They said, well, if we say it's from men, well, they fear the people because the people believe that John was sent from God. And if they said, if he said, if they said, this was from God, he'd turn around and say, well, why didn't you obey John? Why didn't you, when he said repent, why didn't you repent? And then they came with the coin, didn't they? Should we render to Caesar that which is Caesar's? Should we pay our taxes? He says, yes. That's the law of the land. You you pay your taxes. You earn a living. You have a business. You pay your taxes. You render to Caesar that which is Caesar's. You obey the laws of the land. You honor and give honor to men where honor is due. You also chiefly render to God what is God's? We thought last Lord's Day, didn't we? That God has made us in His image. Here we're thinking of the image of Caesar on the coin. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. But God has stamped His image on you, on me, my friend. Whether we're saved or not, we are made in the image of God. And man was made to glorify God in this life. And every human being, That has ever lived upon this planet. Has never done that. Apart from one person. Jesus Christ. You Could say, I always do those things. Which please my Father. He came as the last Adam, didn't he? He lived under the law of God. Isaiah 11. Came. He magnified the Lord. He made it honourable. He had no sin in his life. And he always rendered to God the things that are God's. God the Son. They did not render. They were the teachers of the law. And remember, as we thought, he gave a parable. The parable here, it's the parable of the vine dressers. And really, these verses in verses 17 and 18 come on the back foot of that parable of the vine dressers, don't they? He's been telling them about these vine dresses. Well, they were the vine dresses, They were the keepers of Israel. Remember now that Israel, if you turn just back with me again to Isaiah and the fifth chapter, Israel were always described as a vine. Isaiah 5.1 Now I will sing to my well-beloved song, a song to my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard and a very fruitful hill. God put these people in this land of Canaan, didn't He? And He fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest wine and built a tower in the midst of it and also made a winepress therein. And He looked at it, and it should bring forth grapes. But notice the bad news, and He had brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, Judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could I have been done more to my vineyard? But I have not done it in it. Wherefore, when I looked, and that it should bring forth grapes, it brought forth wild grapes, and now go to, I tell you, what will I do I will do to my vineyard? I will take away the hedge thereof, and it should be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof. It should be trodden down, and I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned nor digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no more and rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. These people who were named after Jacob, his name, a prince with God. Yet they did not render They did not render to God. Around the temple of Herod, I don't know if you know, the wall was a golden vineyard all the way around. Not only the temple dome, but the vineyard. And remember, the Lord said, I am the vine, the true vine. There's one who always bore fruit. If a man abide in me and I in him, he shall bear much fruit. But Israel, the people, were put in this land to bear fruit and to honor God. They were given the oracles of God. They were given the law. They were given the testimony. They were given the temple. They were given everything. And they were even shown the way of acceptance before God, the sacrifice, the Lamb. That when the Lamb of God came into the world, my friend, the One who very made the world, they rejected Him and despised Him. Throughout the centuries, throughout the millennia, As we look at this parable here, this parable of the vineyard, verse 9 and following, the Lord is the owner of the vineyard, the keeper of the vineyard. And He sends the prophets to warn the people and to ask for fruit. Bear fruit unto God. If you do not bear fruit, and if you do not repent, God will destroy. God did destroy. Firstly, Israel... In the north, we thought of it this morning. In 2 Kings 18, 17, but he spared Judah, didn't he? And Jerusalem. now. God is going to bring judgment in AD 70. But now even the temple is going to be destroyed. And for millennia, there were the false teachers of the law. Those who kept saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. And then there were the true Prophets that the Lord sent. God is coming to judge. God is coming to measure the temple. God is coming also to destroy. He has a people. And those who are not after His own heart, He will destroy. We know from Zechariah, the latter, the minor prophets. Even in Isaiah, the Lord will build a temple. He would lay a chief stone in Zion. That chief stone is the Lord Jesus. He will build a heavenly temple. This temple on earth must be destroyed. But look at look at the vineyard here. It is Israel. Israel were the keepers of the law. And the Lord had sent prophet after prophet, and every time he sent another servant, verse eleven, they beat him and killed him and treated them shamefully, and sent them away empty. Many of the prophets were so badly beaten. Isaiah, it is believed, was sawn in half. Jeremiah thrown in a pit. Many of the prophets so spitefully treated. They wouldn't hear the messengers of the owner of the vineyard. Eventually, the Lord sends His beloved Son, verse 13. Of course, the beloved Son is the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe they will reverence him. But well, they should have. But they didn't. He came to his own. And his own received him not. We're told we not in John chapter one. Now they perceive that the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking this parable concerning them. Now you notice, he says, "What shall the owner of the vineyard do?" Verse 16, he shall come and destroy these husbands and shall give the vineyard to others. And when they heard this, heard it, they said, God forbid, no, can't be. Well, that would be right. If God did give it to someone, they were not rightful in keeping it. But they perceived even, as we notice here, that they, he spoke this parable concerning them. Look at verse 19. And the chief priests and the scribes at the same hour sought to lay hands on him. And they feared the people, for they perceived he had spoken this parable against them. But it's just before those words. Verse 17 and the verse 18. where he speaks of himself, the very son, from whom they will put to death this stone. This stone that they reject will destroy them. When they hear this, they perceive that the parable is about them. Verse 19, And the chief priests and the scribes the same hour sought to lay hands on him, and they feared the people, for they perceived that he had spoken this parable against them. So it's very plain, it's very clear. They weren't ignorant of this. They knew what they were doing. Like that, you can have unsaved people in the congregation, my friend. The word convicts them. Not the spirit, but the word of God simply gone out. They hate the message of the word of God, and they're angry in their hearts. Maybe that is you tonight, I do not But I want to issue a warning from this pulpit this evening that this stone will crush men, will destroy men. Now, first of all, we need to understand who is this stone. So firstly, as I said, the stone. Look at verse 17. And he beheld them and said, What is this then that is written? Where was it written? It's written in the Old Testament as we shall see in just a moment. The stone which the builders rejected, the same is become the head, the corner. So if you turn with me now, first of all, I want you to notice on account of Old Testament prophecy, this stone is speaking concerning Christ. Isaiah 28, verse 14. And You know, if you were to read the prophet Isaiah, it might seem a little mysterious at this point. Isaiah 7:14 speaks of the virgin that shall bear a child, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, that is God with us. And we know that the angel confirmed that that was Christ. He came into the world. Isaiah also mentions in Isaiah 8, the the name Emmanuel is there again in Isaiah 8. Isaiah is full of Christ. He's constantly pointing to Christ, to the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. And then speaking of His church in Isaiah 54, that's God's kingdom being established. And God was saying even in the dark days of Israel, in its falling and in Judah, that God will build the temple. God will have a people. God will establish His kingdom, come what may, men may fall. but God has determined to have a people, because He has a king that will buy his people, that will suffer for His people, that will build the church. Now, Isaiah 28:14, Wherefore hear the Lord, Word of the Lord, ye scornful men that rule this people which is in Jerusalem, because ye have said we have made a covenant with death, with hell. We are in agreement. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come unto us. Death won't uh, destroy us, for we have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood have we hid ourselves. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a foundation stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. Now that is pointing to Christ. A man says, I've made a covenant with death. People even try to, what do they do today? You know, with this unbelieving world, the statisticians will tell you that more commonly today, Men, when they die, they want to be cremated. Man is basically saying, God is not going to have the last word with this body. I'm going to burn it. I'm going to destroy it. But you know, we're told that the dust shall rise. The dust we return. We try to destroy the body. But God will raise the body. We have an immortal soul. And there's coming a day when this stone shall raise all that have gone to the dust and in the sea. He said, marvel not, the hour is coming in which all that are dead in the grave shall rise. That hour will come. Some to the resurrection of life. Some to the resurrection of eternal damnation and perdition. Man can try to make a covenant with death. Man can try to convince himself that there's no such thing as a reckoning with the Lord. The scriptures say, it is appointed unto man once to die, but it doesn't stop there, my friend. After that, the judgment. God will raise everybody, and their souls will meet with their bodies stand before the Almighty. We read there in the book of the Revelation that the entire mass of humanity will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, before that great white throne, and men will come and stand, and they shall be judged according to their works. All men, and all men are sinners. And there's no hope, but another book will be opened up. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life, my friend. They are them that have trusted on Christ who is the rock as well as the lamb. He is the lion. He is the judge. And He will judge all men. So Old Testament prophecy here, and if you read on, you will read that He is speaking of Christ. Even Peter refers to this. If you turn secondly, on account of the apostle Peter, who and what is this stone? Peter says in 1 Peter 2.2, two, he's speaking here to Christians and he says as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the Word that ye may grow thereby. He's saying if you're a Christian, I address Christians here tonight, if you are a Christian, what should it be? What should your desire be? The milk sincere milk or the pure milk of the Word. Let me ask you that. Is that the desire of your heart? It's one of the things you know whether you're alive to God. When a little infant is born, we see little ones before us here tonight. What is the first thing they crave? Their mother's milk. They crave food. It tells you they're alive. And when somebody is born again, one of the things... They long for, they have been quickened, they realize, this is the Word of God, this is what I need, this is what I love, because it speaks of my Savior. And he says, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the Word, that you may grow thereby. The person that has no appetite for God's Word, you have to wonder, is there life at all? Or are they just very sick spiritually? Friend, I have said it often. We've met many that are spiritual dwarfs that have been Christians for years but hardly quote a verse of Scripture. It's not good for the soul. Heart will be very small. Service to the Lord will be very small. No desire to serve the Lord. Peter said, no, this, this is what you should do. If you're born again, you should desire the sincere milk, the pure milk, and you should want the best preaching. Not suffer that which is mediocrity. Pray for the preacher. Pray for the pastor. Long for the sincere Now let's move on. Whom to coming as unto a living stone. Notice verse 4, 1 Peter 2, 4. Disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious This stone is chosen of God. Peter here is referring to Christ. And you notice as he moves on, he says, ye also as lively stones. And here he's speaking about God's true temple. Not a building, but as a people that have come together. Notice what he says. Ye also as lively or living stones have built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices Acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in Scripture. And here he's referring back to Isaiah 28. Behold, I lay in sign a chief corner stone, elect, precious. He that believeth on him shall not be confounded or ashamed. Christ, you see, Peter is confirming, is that stone, my friend. And we use scripture to interpret scripture, don't we? One that notice. look at these stones, because we'll come to this in a moment. What is it to fall on these stones? Look at them. They're coming as unto a living stone. He is the chief cornerstone. When you lay a building, there is a, a cornerstone, a big stone, and it, it's set level, and it's it's the marker. Everything is ordered by that stone. It's the corner. And everything goes by that. You've got the plummet line. You've got the datum and point, and, and everything. Moves in the right direction. Christ, my friends, is that chief cornerstone. The church cannot be built apart from Jesus Christ, the true spiritual church. And he says, you Christians are lively stones or living stones, built up as spirituals, coming unto Him who is the living stone. Christ, my friends, is not a dead stone. He's alive. I want you to know that this night. When we speak of him as the rock of ages, he's not dead. He's alive forevermore. And Peter says, Notice, verse 7 Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, that's to Christ, the stone which the builders disallowed, that's these men here. The same is made the head of the corner and a stone of stumbling and a rock of effect. You see, Christ can be a great stone of stumbling to men. And What is it that men stumble over? They stumble at His Word. Remember what the Lord Jesus Christ said? He that receiveth me and my Word. You can't receive Christ without His Word, my friend. A lot of people have this silly idea of who Christ is, but it's a Christ without the Word. And that'll do you no good. You can't separate Him from His Word. He is the Word. He's been speaking throughout the Old Testament. He's that rock, which Paul tells of in First Corinthians 10, that rock which Moses struck and water flowed out of that rock, And that rock that was never to be struck again, when Moses struck the rock twice, he couldn't enter into the land. Because Christ was struck once for sinners. We have to listen to Him. Men drink from that rock. They drank in the Old Testament. We drink of Christ now when we come around the Lord's table. And we remember His death until He come again. He is that spiritual drink, says Paul. But I want us to think about Him particularly here with regards to the temple, because that's what He's been dealing with. God's temple. He is that chief cornerstone. Lastly, we have Paul's testimony, don't we, in Ephesians 2. I wish to turn there very briefly. Paul is speaking about Christ being our peace, peace with God. He says in Ephesians 2.14, for He is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, He's speaking about Jew and Gentile, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of the commandments contained in the ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, that he might reconcile both unto God, speaking of Jew and Gentile, in one body, how by the cross, he says, having slain the enmity, That is the enmity between us and God who came and preached peace to you. Christ by His Spirit came and preached. He has preached tonight and as He is preached we look to His Spirit. The Spirit of Christ to do His work. Notice for through Him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. He says now this, verse 19, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but Fellow citizens, Jews and Gentiles, with the saints and with the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And Paul says, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. It's his church. Again in Romans 9, the apostle Paul, what does he say there? He says concerning the Jews and the Gentiles, he says concerning the Gentiles. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles which followed after righteousness have attained to righteousness? He said, no. Even that which is of faith. Then he says in verse 32, wherefore, concerning the Jew, they seeking a righteousness, but they sought it not by faith. They were trying to outwork it in their lives. Trying to earn a righteousness with God. It's impossible. And then he says, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled, at the stumbling stone. The Jewish man thought, hey, I can keep the law and I can be right with God. And that's why Paul says, For they stumbled at the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in science, stumbling on a rock of offense. Now I want to think here this evening very briefly. We've seen here already Christ is the rock. Now I want to really get to the text. I want to come now and think. In the first place, positively falling on this stone, you're an unsaved person. And maybe we think with the Philippian jailer, remember what he he cried out, What must I do to be saved? What did the apostles say? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And when we think of those words, believe on the Lord Jesus, it means so much. It's not just believing about Him, but it's, it's repenting and believing on Him. Trusting in Him wholly, my friend. Not trusting in any merits of yourself, like the self-righteous Jew. For well, there is no righteous man alive. Never has been. Ever since Adam. All have sinned. The law concludes all men guilty, my friends, under sin and under the law. He is a guilty sinner. But notice the text. And He beheld them and said, What is this then? You who wish to put the son of the owner of this vineyard to death, you who wish to destroy me, what is this then? He's referring them back to the Old Testament. It is written, he says, the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. Now what does he say? First of all, whosoever shall fall upon him, that stone shall be broken. Now firstly, I want you to notice, he says that stone, what did Peter say the believer is? The believer is a living stone. He's now alive. And what did Peter say? Those stones, they come unto him. And they're built up on Christ, the chief cornerstone. You see, the very fact that a man comes unto Christ and he sees by the grace of God It is undone. Look at the picture. Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken. Here's the picture. Falling. Everything else is falling down around us. We live in a fallen world, don't we? This world is perishing. And everything in it. And God is going to destroy it. And a man is brought to his senses and he sees this is a sinful and sinking world. And I have no hope but the rock of ages who came into this world, and I fall on him. There's a wonderful verse. If you turn with me to Isaiah 32, I say to you that Isaiah is full of Christ. Isaiah 32. Again, we see Christ here as a great stone, as a rock. We read verse 1 Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness, and princes shall rule in judgment, and a man shall be as an hiding place from the wind, as a covert from the tempest, as rivers of water in a dry place, as the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. My friends, he is that great rock. God, David describes God as the Lord is my rock. You see, When a man sees that he has no hope in this world, but the one who made the world, the one who is described as the rock of ages, as the ancient of days, that man is broken. Broken in heart. That's what I mean. You turn with me to Matthew. You know that passage. Matthew chapter 5. There in Matthew 5 is the Lord Jesus Christ. He begins the Sermon on the Mount seeing the multitudes. And here we imagine the great King. And He is giving, as it were, His kingdom manifesto. And He is pronouncing exactly who are blessed. And uh, by the way, all of the eight blessings here we call them beatitudes it's not what you are to be it's what you are by the grace of god the this is not an ala carte smorgasbord pick which one you want to be i'm a meek i'm a poor in spirit well she is a one who hungers and thirsts for right no these are all true and they flow one to another and he begins by saying he opens his mouth, verse 2, and taught them saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Think of the man in the temple. Broken. Broken in heart. Could not so much as even lift up his eyes to heaven, but broken because, and feeling his pain. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Broken. What did the Lord Jesus say? He will not break a bruised reed, nor quench a smoking flax, my friend. The one that comes that falls upon Christ will be broken. The man that's not broken has not come to Christ. Never has. He's imagined he has. And I want you to notice this. The Lord Jesus explains who His people are. They're not only poor in spirit, but he says, blessed are they that mourn. They mourn over their sin. They grieved in heart. They cut to the heart. Precisely because they're poor in spirit. They look at their lives and they see what a pitiful sinners they are. But he says they shall be comforted. Well, how will they be comforted? Because they look and see one who kept the Lord for them. They continue to mourn because they long to please God who has loved them. And they also, they meek. Blessed are the meek. A meek man, you can teach him. You can't teach the proud. He won't listen. He knows everything. For the meek, they shall inherit the earth. You know, when God saves you, brings you to see that you really know nothing like me. The more we learn, the more we understand we really hardly have begun. It's true, isn't it? Notice something else. Blessed they to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Lord, I, I long to be like thyself. I long to be godly for they shall be filled. God will change them by and by. The hunger for it, God will give them. And imparted righteousness in the life. They're not looking for righteousness. They trust in the righteousness of Christ. But they long to be righteous. I would question anybody that would say that they're saved and they have no hunger to be godly. You love the world, can't love righteousness at the same time, can you? Blessed are the merciful. Why? Firstly, because they have known the mercy of God. Remember what the Lord said: "Forgive your brother, even as you have forgiven." And when He teaches us to pray, "Forgive us our debts." as we forgive those who sin against us. You see, the man who doesn't forgive is not a forgiven man. Blessed are the pure in heart. You read through. Here's somebody that is broken. Not the proud. And the one that falls upon him shall be broken. It's a wonderful thing to be broken. It's to be broken free from Adam. It's to be broken free from this world. It's to be set free. It's to be made anew. God has to to break before He can bind up and build a man. A man is blessed if he falls upon Christ. It's a wonderful thing to fall upon Christ. Because He is the rock. And solid He is. That's why even He said at the end of that entire Sermon on the Mount, He describes, doesn't He, two kinds of men. The the, the one man, He says, who hears My Word and doesn't do it. He's like the man, he's, he's built his house, he's built his life, he's built his confidence in simply hearing My Word. But the wise man he said, this is the wise man. He that hears My Word and does it. There's a solid foundation. You see, God only builds the life. But God knows why we do things. We do it because we love Christ. We're broken. Broken in heart over our sin." God is so gracious that He condescends, that He teaches us how to live. Look at these stones, Peter says, as living stones coming and falling upon that cornerstone. But not these proud, arrogant Pharisees and scribes. They wouldn't listen to a word of Christ. They rejected the builder. They rejected God. And they rejected Christ as the chief cornerstone. You see, Christ is how we should frame our lives by His law. He is the one lawgiver. And when He says something, we say, Right Lord, You know what is right. You know, if we want to please God, You live as Christ. You honor Him. And This, you know, you're not saved because you try to live like Christ. But because Christ, as it were, has laid the foundation is live for his people. And they can fall upon him. As it were, they have their acceptance before God because they cast themselves upon the one who is the representative of his people. Adam was the federal head of the entire human race. But Christ came to be the last Adam, my friend. You know, men fall by imputation of Adam's sin that sinners rise by the imputation of Christ's righteousness. And our sin laid to His account. It's a tremendous thing. And therefore, I can have no other hope but in His shed blood. It's that God cannot build a holy temple. He cannot have people in heaven but by this one man, Jesus Christ, my friend. He cannot have a people in heaven but by Jesus Christ. Because there is needed an absolute spotless righteousness before Almighty God and it is only met in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The one who kept the law and who made it honorable. But He kept it for His people that He might give to them His righteousness. He came also to die That is the rock on which we rest, my friends. The Christian rests upon Christ and we fall on Him. Could you imagine being out in the vast, I mean, I've been out in some seas in my life as a young man. When I worked offshore of Japan, I've seen some huge waves, 30, 35 foot waves, and I'm no exaggeration. You've seen some of these ships. and I've seen rocks, islands out. Withstanding the pummeling of these mighty waves. Or maybe you see a lighthouse standing in the midst of an ocean and there's a rock and it's like nothing can move that rock. But that's Christ. He has been where the storm of God's wrath has been. God vented his fury of people upon Christ. And they fall, as it were, on him. And they cling to him. And they hold tight. And they will never let go because he is the only hope of heaven. And they daily fall upon him. They daily see their need not only of confession of sin, but their need of Christ to constantly give them life because He comes to live by His Spirit in their hearts and He gives light and life and He gives ballast for the soul. We know He's ordering our life and all of our affairs every day. Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken. And I don't know if you've ever been broken with... Have you ever been broken with the kindness of somebody? before? I have. And I'm not speaking about God. Of course, I've been broken by the kindness of God. But has somebody ever been so kind to you? You who have maybe been so unkind to them, and they've shown you such exceeding kindness, and you feel broken. And a man is broken in heart. We'll multiply that by a billion times. The kindness of God. Paul says, while we were yet sinners, Paul is speaking to Christians, Christ died for the ungodly. And a man is broken in heart. And daily we fall and we thank God. Because daily we feel our sin and our unworthiness and our helplessness to go on. We see Paul crying out in Romans 7, Oh, wretched man that I am! Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He says, I thank God. You see, because that rock lives in Paul by his Spirit. You see, if you don't have God, if you don't have Christ, You're a tossed soul in the tempest of this world, my friend. There's no hope. We are told in Isaiah that the wicked are like the sea that can get no rest. Look at the Jew. He's constantly trying to to make himself right with God, but never can. Trying to earn. Trying to to get favor. And and here there's the the nominal church. I, I, I go to church and think that somehow... I can appease God and please God. You never can, my friend. You never can. You never will. But the one who falls on Christ will be a broken man because he will see when he falls on Christ the absolute wonder and kindness of God. And when we fall on the Lord, we realize He's far kinder than we ever imagined He would be. I never imagined the Christian life would be so wonderful, my friends. Every true Christian can say that. But I want to close with this. But on whomsoever it shall fall, that's this stone, it will grind him to power. You think of it, the most unimaginable thing happened. What is the most unimaginable thing? The most unimaginable thing is God coming in the flesh. And then, wonder of wonders, the second greatest thing is not the creation of the universe, not even the making of man, and that was wonderful when God made everything in six literal days. But the patience of God, but then Him coming into the world, God becoming flesh, but then behold, Paul said, God, that I should glory save in anything else but the cross of our Lord Jesus. When God the Son went to the cross, That, my friends, is the most tremendous day of all the world. When He bore the sins of a great number of people. And the Father, as it were, hid His face from the Son. The Son was forsaken on the account of His people's sins. Here's this outside of that. Those that will carry on in sin and they say, Well, God came in the flesh. He died. So what? This very one who is God will crush you. If you say, So what? I'm indifferent to this. Well, my friend, you're walking on his earth, you're breathing his air. You think, like these silly men here, you can just offer God some little animal? I think you will appease our holy God. My friend, if God spared not his son, you think he'll spare you? We read, God owns whosoever it shall fall, it will grind him to hell. My friend, the Bible tells us there is one lawgiver. He was able to save and able to destroy. On those who fall on Him, they will be broken, wonderfully broken, for good. You know, when we think of something broken, we say it's bad. But here we're thinking of good broken. Man's not right. He's proud. And he needs to be broken. But I'll tell you this on whom the judgment of Christ will fall. The man will be crushed eternally. Especially if he has heard the Word of God. And I say this because many will pass through this world of billions of people and will never hear the Gospel. What did he say concerning the ancient cities? It will be more tolerable for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And for them, heard the preaching of this gospel. May God have mercy.